0: Hey friends, welcome to Re-Orthodox Theology. My name is Justin, and today I have a special episode for you. I got the opportunity to interview one of my scholar heroes out there right now, Dr. Carmen Imes. Dr. Imes is the Associate Professor of Old Testament at Biola University. Her first book, which was also the topic of her dissertation, was Bearing God's Name. And we talk about her most recent book, Being God's image. Why creation still matters. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for your patience as I was getting this ready, and I hope you enjoy I'm really excited to have one of my dream guests on this podcast today, Dr. Carmen Imes. Dr. Imes, thank you so much for joining the show today.
1: Thanks for having me, Justin.
0: Yeah, so I I came across you and your work back um, when the pandemic was in its height, and I was walking my dog, listening to the Bible Project podcast, and I think it was your first interview that came up, and I was so blown away. I listened to it. Not once, not twice, but three times taking notes. Wow! I was just, yeah, so enamored by your work, and especially near the end, we talk about tattoos and Jesus's leg. And <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yeah, I loved it. I loved it. Um, so for for listeners, I'd be surprised if they don't um, know your name at least, or know your first book. But for just in case, can you share a little bit about you? Of um, who are you? Where are you? And what are you doing right now?
1: Sure. I so my name's Carmen Imes. I am an associate professor of Old Testament at Biola University. For anybody not in the academic world, associate does not mean I'm just associated with the school. <laughs> it's a it's a a professor rank. So it goes from assistant to associate and then to full professor. So I'm climbing up the ladder slowly. And uh, I have worked here at Biola for two years, and absolutely love my job. Before I was here. I was at Prairie College in Three Hills, Alberta, which is a very different context than Southern California. I also loved working there, and I'm really basically doing the same thing, just teaching Old Testament to students, undergraduate students. And when I'm not in the classroom, I'm usually writing. Right now, I'm working hard on a commentary on Exodus for Baker Academic, working Mm -hmm. verse, verse by verse through the book. I've been at it for four years. I probably have three more years to go before I'm finished. Uh, it's a long project, but so rich and life-giving. I, I absolutely love just immersing myself in the biblical text and allowing my curiosities to take me down whatever rabbit trails I need to to go down to understand what it's saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first book that you mentioned uh, is "Bearing God's Name: Why Sinai Still Matters." It's a It's my attempt to share with the wider world what I learned writing my doctoral dissertation at Wheaton College um, on the command not to take the Lord's name in vain. And my basic premise is that we've been misunderstanding it. If we think it has something to do with policing our speech or, or how we say God's name, it's much broader than that. At Sinai, Yahweh puts his name on the Israelites to claim them as his own and then he tells them not to misrepresent him so the mm-hmm. command is not to carry his name in vain which would be to misrepresent him so it's a lot broader than how we usually think of it so that was my my first book for a wide audience and i've just recently released my second with university press it's called being god's image why creation still matters mm-hmm. and it's been out for about 6 weeks and it's been really exciting to interact with people about it
0: yeah yeah I, i'm I was really excited to get my hands on it uh, really quick you mentioned um, bearing God's name I through, my, through through my grad school I had access to your dissertation
1: and I just want to let it? you know
0: there's a quote in your dissertation on a footnote when you were talking about um, the doctrine of election it was a little just a little comment that I just fell in love with you said the doctrine of election the conversation is riddled with corpses. <laughs> <laughs> and Did I, I see that? I, yeah it, like it, <laughs> it was a little tongue-in-cheek and I just loved it and I and, and I, I love that you, you are so personable in your scholarship <laughs> and make it <laughs> so <laughs> easily accessible like you're not dumbing it down it's straightforward but it's for people uh, for the people
1: my my intention is to take what I'm learning and communicate it in language that everyone can understand and I try to I try to keep in mind at all times that just because someone doesn't have a PhD in Bible does not mean they're dumb. And mm-hmm. so um, there's the, we have a whole world full of intelligent people who have the capability of understanding these concepts. We just have to use language that people can access and not use specialist jargon. So yeah, that's been kind of my mission is to take biblical scholarship and make it more accessible because I think it's really transformative.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. It's been, your work has been transformative uh, for me, especially your, your new book, Being God's Image. I, so I, I'd be curious really quick, is, what's the connection between, you know, you said your dissertation and your first book have all been first on Exodus, but bespe- uh, specifically that command, um, yeah. Bearing God's Name. What's the connection between Bearing God's Name and, and what led you to write this new book?
1: Yeah. So I, as I mentioned, argue that the command not to take the Lord's name in vain is actually uh, uh, pointing to Israel's representative role. Hmm. And lots of people, when I share that with them and over the years that I was working on the dissertation and even writing the book, um, people would say, oh, that makes so much sense. It reminds me of the Imago Dei. Like, Hmm. isn't it isn't that kind of how it is with the image of God? Like it's a representative role with creation and so i wrote this book in part as an answer to that question because yes it is very similar both Hmm. both imply a representative role but the scope is different because every human being is the image of god but only the covenant people bear god's name and so there's a difference in Hmm. um yeah in scope of who's who's at who's the who's in the picture Um, when we're talking about this. And so I would argue that it's impossible for an unbeliever to take God's name in vain because they don't bear God's Mm name. Um, But every unbeliever is the image of God. And so Mm. this book is trying to trace this wider theme in scripture of what does it mean to be human and how can we lean into our human identity and vocation, our God-given human identity and vocation.
0: Mm. Got it. No, that's, that's, it makes sense, that connection. So you've already mentioned it a few times. I'd be curious just to set the groundwork of uh, what is the image of God, or you said the Latin, Imago Dei, and and just in general, what is it? Where do we see it in uh, scripture? Is it both in the old and new? Is it a prominent idea, stuff like that?
1: Yeah, it's, it's puzzling because although it seems to be a really important concept because it's center stage in, Genesis chapter one, it's or where it's the climax of Genesis one, God's creation of humans as His hmm. image. Um, so we we encounter the phrase there, but then it it's only two, in two more passages in the entire Old Testament, and it doesn't pop up again until the until Paul's letters. So not even hmm. in the Gospels. So um, it's it's an interesting concept because it does seem to be really foundational, and yet it's not talked about very much. Um, and so that was part of the curiosity that, that drove me to study it more deeply to fi- see if I could figure out why. Why does it appear in Genesis 1, 5, and 9, and then drop out of the picture until the New Testament? And I think it's actually because of this other concept of bearing God's name that that takes center stage because we have a downward spiral in Genesis 1 through 11 where God's good intentions for humanity go way off course, hmm. and so God raises up Abraham and says, "Through your family, I'm going to be, a, I'm, I'm going to mediate blessing to all nations." And so God's plan to set things back on track is through the family of Abraham, who are the covenant people. They bear God's name, and so we have a, a primary focus on that for the rest of the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And then when Jesus comes on the scene, He is simultaneously, uh a human who is the image of God and he bears God's name well and so he draws those two threads back together again and enables us to talk about this concept again um so so I think it's very important for us to understand it but it is a little puzzling that it disappears for such such a um a lot of scripture just hides from view
0: yeah that that was as I was reading your book that was shocking to me like that I never made that connection that it's True. it's just on the bookends of the bible basically. Yep. yep. So that, that was very fascinating. Um, so what are some ways that either new or old that people have um, tried to interpret what it means to be mm-hmm. the image of God?
1: Yeah. So the the image of God has had a lot of airtime for for the, for the <laughs> amount of place for the paucity of references it's it's just only a few times in the Bible, we'd be surprised at how many shelves of the library are taken with books on the image of God. And so then you might wonder, like, why do we need another one? <laughs> oh, why another one? And, and sure. really, I, I was convinced that there was really good work being done by evangelical scholars on the Imago Dei or the image of God, and that it was not trickling down, if you will, that people in the churches were still hearing some of the older ideas about the Imago day that have have been really disproven or we know better now about mm-hmm. how to understand these things. It's interesting we're in a we're in a season of scholarship where we're actually you would think that the that if we had lived hundreds of years ago we would have been closer to the evidence but we're actually closer to the evidence now than people mm-hmm. were several hundred years ago because, There have been so many archaeological advances and advances in library science and digitizing of information. And so there are words that we didn't understand two or three hundred years ago, five hundred years ago, a thousand years ago that have now been recovered through Mm -hmm. archaeology. So there is a sense in which this is a great time to be alive and we're in a better position to understand something like the image of God than Augustine was, even though he lived Hundreds and hundreds of years ago and much closer to the time of the Bible itself. Hmm. um, By his day, there were a lot of things that were covered over in sand and lost, you know, for all intents and purposes, lost to history. And they've been recovered. So I don't want to I don't want to engage in chronological snobbery and just say that we we are always right and the old guys are always wrong. But I think the Imago Dei is one area where there have been some well-meaning speculations over the centuries about what it means to be the image of God. And that speculation has not been grounded in actual ancient Near Eastern culture and context. Mm. So one of the really um, persistent ways of thinking about it has been to assume that the image of God is tied to a particular human capacity, that there's something mm-hmm. I'm able to do better than animals, and therefore that's that's what it means to be the image of God. Certainly humans are set apart from animals. Certainly we have differences. But it, in the absence of a clear understanding of what, it, what the word image even meant, people speculated and just let their minds um, <laughs> go wild as far as what that might be. So rationality is mm-hmm. one of the big contenders for... What does it mean to be the image it's to be a rational being others have said no it's more of our moral compass or moral sensibilities others have said no it's our relationality or our relational connection to god and each other Mm -hmm. that's different from animals Um, but when i go back to genesis 1 and just read what it says none of those things are expressed there's Mm -hmm. no particular capacity that seems to be tied to the image of god and so I would argue that we need to understand what is an image in the ancient Near East and how does that help us understand what's being communicated in this sentence in Genesis 126. And the word for, the Hebrew word for image is selim, which is something very concrete. It's an idol, an yeah. idol statue that goes in the most holy place of a temple. If, if a god wants to be worshipped in a particular place, people, the people carve an idol and install it, and mm-hmm. they call it a tselem, or tsalmu. Uh, and so it's it's been the loss of that information that has made us think of all of these other random things that might be the image. Um, but it's actually our physicality. God makes the world as his cosmic temple, if you will. And then he says, I'm going to make humans my image. That is, don't make a statue of me to worship, because I've already made images, I've already made statues that represent me, and I've put them on the earth, and their job is to go on and carry out the work that I have begun in creation. And so it's it's a, it's more physical than what we've assumed, and it's therefore more l- limited in some ways than what we've assumed. I think sometimes people use the image of God as a A catch-all for everything that makes humans different than animals Hmm. and I think the text I don't want to go beyond what the text says which is that we're physically uh, in our embodiment the image of
0: God as I was reading it I also I immediately because I come from a Wesleyan uh, tradition the Salvation Army I don't know if you're familiar Mm -hmm. with it but a little bit yeah yeah, we we have Wesleyan roots. So I, I went to John Wesley has one uh, one sermon on the image of God, and the first thing he says, he gives three you know points of what it is, and the first thing was mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. logic. <laughs> it, and I'm like, okay, red flag one. And as I kept reading, yeah. there were several more. Uh, yeah, just yeah, like you said, speculation. That's so true.
1: And it's tr- it's not um, the Wesleyans do not have the corner of the on the market for this one. It's <laughs> it's across the traditions. And it's, again, a feature of us having been so disconnected from ancient culture Hmm. that we read our own assumptions into the Bible.
0: Being made in the image of God. So does that mean humans in themselves are the idols, are the, the little statues? Or does that mean that God made us like looking at himself and then, you know, kind of painting the picture, Mm. recreate. Can you explain that a little bit more?
1: What's interesting about these physical statues, um, they could be made in ancient times of a deity or of a king. If Hmm. I'm a king, if I'm queen, I guess I'd be queen, not king. If I was queen (laughs) of a large region and I went and conquered more territory, but I couldn't be there all the time because I had to go back to my home base, I might set up an image of myself hmm. in in the far reaches of my new con- newly conquered territory, just to remind everybody who's boss. And we actually have examples of this from the ancient world. There's a there's a particular statue you can Google it of Hadad Yith El, hmm. and H- Hadad is king. He conquers a vast territory and sets up an image of himself. And it ins- inscribed. What's interesting is inscribed on this. Statue is the word selim and the word demuth, which is the word for likeness. So hmm. it's called, that statue was called an image and a likeness. And those who have done deep dive studies of these statues in ancient times will say that the statue didn't necessarily resemble the king. Like it didn't have to look, You, it, it's not like you'd look at the statue and if you ran into the guy at the mall, you'd know exactly who it is. <laughs> Because you've seen the statue. It's right, not right. that kind of resemblance. Rather, the statue would have certain prescribed characteristics, like certain a certain hairstyle, a certain style of clothing hmm. that is characteristic of kings. Hmm. And so you could tell who it was based on those conventions, not based on on what someone actually looked like. Hmm. And so... I don't think that when God makes us as his image, he's saying, you look like me, but rather you represent me because you have the right, um, the, you're configured in such a way that people will think of me as, mm. as the creator. Now that could launch us into a conversation about whether God has a body, uh, and I don't know how to answer <laughs> that question.
0: <laughs> Not I- that reminded me of a quote. I, uh, have you ever seen any of the Transformers? You know, robots and.
1: I've seen the robot. I haven't seen the show. Probably. Well, the the mo- movies. Um, yeah, I haven't seen there's, the there's
0: movies. A, there's a quote where the Transformers were working with the humans, and one of the guys said, "Man, if we're made in the image of God, who are they made in the image of?" And uh, I think that's just a cultural assumption. Is that? Yeah. You know, part of it is that we're we're supposed to look like. God per se,
1: yeah. And what's interesting is we have such a wide range of ways the humans look, Mm -hmm. right? Our skin color, our height, our weight, our particular features, so that you can actually have facial recognition technology because Mm. every human face is so different that the computer can tell us apart. Mm. And yet, you can easily tell a human from a non-human because we have we each have the right kind of body parts in the right order
0: mm-hmm. mm. or at
1: least enough of a match even if someone is badly disfigured for, for whatever reason there's enough of a match we know that's a human yeah I, ca- I can't think of a time in my life where i wasn't sure whether someone was human or not right so mm. yeah i don't know where that where that leaves us in terms of how much we actually look like god but when god took on flesh he came as a human with yeah two arms and two legs and a hair, hair, you know, he presumably had a beard and <laughs> so. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Interesting. So I, one of the most challenging, I think it, it's it's all been very um, challenging in a healthy way, this book. And I think everyone should read it because I mean, back to the point about um, uh, logic or, or rationality, right? My first, and you address this in your book because as I was reading it, my first thought was, you know, what about people with disabilities that can't mm-hmm. think rationally and that mm-hmm. you address that? And I think that it's it's a beautiful argument. What really I've been wrestling with, even now, I'm talking to my wife, I'm talking to my professor right now about it. Because you argue that we, uh, humanity, after the fall, did not lose anything in the Imago Day. It, it was not mm-hmm. corrupted or distorted in any way. I'd love right. to hear you know, hear from the horse's mouth, right? That that saying, I'd love to hear from you, you know. <laughs> yeah. What, what led you to that conclusion? Because it's really yeah. convincing.
1: So I first, I have to give credit to John Kilner because he's the one who first convinced me that we haven't lost or diminished the image of a God. Mm-hmm. Um, he he gave a plenary address at the Evangelical Theological Society meetings back in, I think, 2009, hmm. where he put up on the screen quotations from, from famous uh, pastors, theologians, writers through the ages. He assembled just a mass of quotations of people saying, people like John Wesley and John Calvin and Augustine and all the people talking about the diminishment of the image of God or the loss okay. of the image or the destroying of the image. It has been by, by and large the way people have thought about the image. We, we were the image of God in Genesis 1 and 2. We lost it in Genesis 3. We're trying to get it back for the rest of the mm-hmm. story. Um, I don't know all the reasons for that, but I think it, it's certainly an imprecise way of reading Scripture to make that assumption. Because if you read carefully, um, it never says the image is lost, and in fact it aff- affirms the opposite. So I said that there are three places in Genesis that talk about the image of God, chapter one, chapter five, and chapter nine. Sometimes people point to chapter five as the proof that it's been lost because it talks about God creating mankind in his likeness. And then when Adam had a son, he had a son in his likeness, in his own image, and named him Seth. And some people have stopped right there and said, see, we used to be made in the image of God, and after the fall children who were born were made in the image of their parents instead of in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And so that's been um, the assumption. But it doesn't say that Seth is not the image of God anymore. I think what's happening in Genesis 5 is an analogy. The author of Genesis is helping to define for us what does it mean by analogy to be the image of God is mm-hmm. like to being the child of your parent. Your parents birthed you, and that connection between you there's a kinship between you that can never be erased even if you fall out of relationship and have a uh, completely strained relationship or stop talking to each other there's nothing you can do to erase your origin as mm-hmm. the combination of their chromosomes mm-hmm. and your DNA is uniquely derived from them and therefore you can't get rid of that in what i think really seals the deal for me is genesis chapter 9 After the flood, when God says to Noah, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood by humans, shall their blood be shed for in the image of God has God made mankind. Hmm. So after the fall, after the flood, God is saying to Noah, you can't go around killing people. Nobody can. I will hold people accountable. Human life is precious because humans are the image of God. Humans are my image. That's why you can't treat their lives as if they don't matter or as if they're disposable. So that seals it for me Mm -hmm. that we're still the image of God even after sin enters the world. Obviously, something has been lost in Genesis 3. There's a tremendous fracture between Adam and Eve and each other, like between Adam and Eve between them and God, between them and the created world. There's Mm -hmm. all sorts of disruption, lots of angst, hiding, lying, uh, blame shifting, lots of problems. But it does not say, the scriptures do not say that they are not the image of God anymore. And so the thing that I think people often uh, assume about the image being lost points to what we all recognize, that there is a problem after the fall. Mm-hmm. There's a problem in that humans don't seem to be reflecting the glory of God that we were meant to reflect. We're living in a, some kind of compromised state. So if we define from the beginning uh, the image of God as our human identity that's unchanging, mm-hmm. then we can say that the thing is that's lost is we're no longer living in alignment with our identity, and I tell a story in the book. I use I use an illustration that I've heard many times before about the the eagle who's um, hatched in the farmyard and he is waddling around with the turkeys, not knowing he's an eagle until somebody comes along and says, "What are you doing there in the barn? Or why don't you fly?" Well, I didn't. He doesn't know that he's an eagle. So I think he intrinsically is an eagle he has eagle dna he's built to fly but he's not living in alignment with that because he's just imitating the behavior of the birds around him who are mm-hmm. turkeys so i think in a similar way we live in a world that's been marred by sin and so we behave in ways that are inconsistent with our true identity and somebody has to teach us you are the image of god you have inherent dignity and worth and you were born to fly. So get mm. flying. And so th- then we can recover the the consequences. We can live out the mm. consequences or implications of our identity in a way that's consistent. But we're not becoming something new. We're just becoming who we already
0: are. Mm. I hear you. And, and I'm just, I'm wrestling with it even as I'm listening to you. Because part of the wesleyan theology and i know i didn't prep you for this so we can cut it out afterwards but no that's fine um part of wesleyan theology is that part of the fall is that we lost the holy spirit um yeah. so i i yeah i'm just like yeah. I'm, I'm trying to reconcile like if we didn't lose anything in our image of god is our is our is to be an image of god part of our um not proximity but i guess like our or a relationship. I'm trying to think of a better word, but the am I relationships.
1: Sense? The relationship has certainly been disrupted, but the grounds for the relationship have not. Hmm. So, hmm. I mean, if you think of an estranged relationship between a parent and a child, that work needs to be done to reconcile. But there's, but you don't have to be born again. <laughs> But now I'm mixing metaphors this is going to mess with New Testament metaphors <laughs> um because the New Testament does talk about being born a, born a second mm-hmm. time um but the the essential nature of a human as God's image is still intact it's mm-hmm. that it's that there's there's the loss the way I describe the loss in the book is a loss of glory mm-hmm. and and lots of people have, speculated over the years about what was lost. There are even some Jewish interpreters, ancient Jewish interpreters, who say that Adam and Eve didn't have skin at all. Like they didn't have human skin before the fall. Hmm. They just sort of glowed transparently. And that Hmm. when God clothes them with skins, he's actually giving them human skin. There is another ancient interpreter that, that thinks that humans were... Uh, covered with a kind of like fingernails. I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm hmm. getting this right. I have a friend who has worked on the history of interpretation, but there's like this fingernail covering over that over people that got stripped away. Um, hmm. at, at the fall, there's a there's definitely a loss, not of our essential identity, but of that of that right the right relationship with God that, um, in which we can then reflect
0: Hmm.
1: and imagine if you think about the moon and how the moon reflects the sun, if the moon had the ability to somehow turn away from and no longer reflect the sun, it would still be a moon, but needs to be repositioned. And Hmm. I think maybe that's a way of thinking about like, we need to be repositioned so that we, we're looking into the face of God that we're, we're, um, able to reflect his glory because mm. we're we're living in the way that we were designed to live mm. in in right relationship with our creator
0: yeah mm. nope. but because every you, yeah. human
1: being has that essential identity that's the grounds for treating each other with dignity and so you don't have to have a particular capacity and this is you touched on this earlier about disabilities i've i've Done a fair bit of thinking about disability of all, disabilities of all sorts, yeah. and how they impact or don't impact the imago dei. And I would yeah. argue that every human being, regardless of disability, is the image of God. And so, when you look at someone who's unable to walk, that person is no less the image of God than someone who's able bodied. Uh, if you if you know someone, if someone you love has a mental disability cognitive impairment of some kind they're no less the image of god because as i define it we're not grounding uh the imago dei in a capacity Mm -hmm. but in our it's it's our human embodiment that qualifies us as to have this identity and we if it's identity rather than capacity then it's much harder to lose
0: Mm -hmm. yep yeah very i mean it's very convincing but now I have to reconcile. Then what did we lose? But I think, yeah, yeah it, it's very helpful, and it's
1: and it's oh, it's okay to disagree with some of our theological heroes. They can't be right a hundred percent of the time. Neither can I, of course.
0: Well, yeah, uh, I, I, I hear you. I hear you. But when when I read what what Wesley said, I just was like, okay, I got to be really careful now. What I think, <laughs> w- what I think Wesley's right on, and what he's wrong on. Yeah, um, and
1: we we that's true with anybody we read. There are things Augustine said that I think are fantastic, Mm -hmm. and there are other times where I think he is flat out wrong. (laughs) He just didn't understand Hebrew, and it shows. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: so we don't just be when we benefit from someone's work and we recognize this person has been a significant influence in the life of the church. That doesn't mean everything they say is perfect. Um, There are no biblical heroes that fit that mold, except for Jesus, <laughs>
0: right? Yeah, yeah. There's
1: there's nobody that doesn't come away unscathed. If we look closely enough, we can find ways that uh, that they were off track.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very true. So I'm curious, I think it was I think it was Irenaeus, right, who said that um, Jesus was the perfect image of God. Was it? Mm-hmm. I can't remember it who it was. could have been. Yep. I can't remember specifically, but one of the church fathers said that and mm-hmm. And I think that's part of why some of us, even today, still think that we're off kilter in some manner, and Jesus is the one that is fully the image of God. So I'd be curious, Mm. can you talk a little bit about that, of how does Jesus fit in this?
1: Yeah, this plays into people's supposition that humans have lost the image, or that we're not Quite the image, um, because when we get to the New Testament, some of the New Testament writers are very clear that Jesus is the image of God, mm-hmm. and they read that as a not just an affirmation but a denial. Mm. Jesus is the image of God, and we are not, mm-hmm. or Jesus is the image of God, and we are in the image of God, which is one step removed. And I just think it's important to affirm that yes, Jesus is the image of God, not because he's divine. Mm but because he's human and every human being is the image of God. And so Jesus doesn't, by virtue of being divine, that doesn't qualify him to be the image of God Mm. more than we're qualified to be the image of God. The difference with Jesus, and there is a difference, is that he's living fully in alignment with his identity as the image of God. And so he's living out the implications of that identity in ways that are fully healthy and uh, God honoring and life giving. And, and so we should look to him to see how to do this. Mm -hmm. But the image of God is not something we do. It's who we are that has implications for what we do. So I'm, I'm wanting to keep those things separate. And I, there are lots of people that I respect who disagree with me on this. And this may be one of those places where a hundred years from now, people will be talking about how wrong Carmen Imes was about the image of God. Um, And so maybe I, what I hope is that I'm start helping to spur on some deeper conversations about things where there have been assumptions, Mm -hmm. you know, Jesus is the image of God and we're not. Mm -hmm. Mm, That doesn't seem to me to take Genesis very seriously. Um,
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, for the listeners, that chapter on Jesus is just phenomenal. I'd recommend getting the book. So far, our last question... And you know, I'm currently in um, I'm currently in seminary, but also in youth ministry, and I've been really, you know, wondering how does this idea, this theology that the imago dei is an identity, it's not a capacity, it's um, nothing else, it's an identity. How does that impact ministry and other forms mm. of theology?
1: Mm. Well, it impacts ministry because every person. With whom we engage in any form is the image of God and therefore is worth treating with respect. And if if the person we're engaging with does not recognize God as their mm. creator and does not recognize their own status as God's image, then we have the privilege of calling them into that and of saying, Do you realize what's true about you? What the Bible says is Mm. true about you, that you are created as God's image and that you can learn to lean into that and live into that and that you don't have to, I think in our generation are one of the biggest things that we're um, absorbed in is self-actualization or, or constructing our own identities Mm. And I say that plural because we can be different things to different people in different places. We have different Mm -hmm. avatars uh, for different platforms and kind of curate different visions of ourselves or versions of Mm -hmm. ourselves. And I think in a world that's so obsessed with identity creation, Mm -hmm. there's something really freeing about saying it's it's not up to you to create who you are. It's up to you to receive and recognize who God Mm -hmm. made you to be. There's a sense of um, gift in our identity that it's given to us by the God who created us, and therefore the pressure's off to make something of yeah. ourselves, and instead we have the freedom to and the and the agency to participate in the work of God, uh, collaborating with Him and with others, and so the givenness of our identity and vocation I think is is gold for mm-hmm. ministry. Uh, to help especially young people who are in this tumultuous time of life where they're trying on different identities, um, to be able to invite them into experiencing what God says is true of them, and then for them to look around and begin to recognize the image of God Mm -hmm. in others. I think um, some of the most persistent failures in our society are the failures to recognize every human being as a person of dignity. Um, I talk in the book about racism, sexism. I talk about pornography and sexual addictions and the ways that, that sex itself, sexual intimacy, has been reconfigured as a personal mm-hmm. right and a need rather than a, a means of connection and intimacy. And, and if we recognize every human being as the image of God, then they don't exist for my gratification, mm-hmm. No one does. No one exists for Carmen's gratification, mm. and so we need to stop using people mm. like pawns or tools for our own self, cons- yeah. our self determination or or satisfaction. Um, so that, I mean, again, that I think would be gold in youth ministry because it's a totally different way of thinking about mm-hmm. the world and our place in yeah. it. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I I've been taking notes about how am I going to talk to this uh, to these. To my youth, and one of them is bullying. You know, I have bullies and victims in mm. um, in youth group, and just yep. you know, proclaiming that everyone is yeah worth dignity by virtue of their identity as a, uh, the image of God. That's I think it's a game changer. And
1: sometimes people have some. Sometimes people have the most trouble conceiving of a bully as the image of God. Sometimes people push back on me and say. Are you saying Hitler was still the image mm. of God? You know, he's the ultimate yeah. bully, right? Um, and yes, I believe Hitler was the image of God. He was living in co- according to a completely alternate false sense of reality, yeah. sense of identity. His He came up with his own rubric of what makes a person valuable. Oh. And it was based on skin color and eye color and head shape and size and... Nose configuration. Like he had all of these very racist ways of trying to uh, trying to identify the ultimate ideal human mm. specimen. So he was completely uh, he was completely missing what's true about humanity is that every human being is the image of God. that this glorious diversity is not a bug but a mm. feature of creation. It's not something to overcome and try to squish everyone into the mold of conformity. But rather, we need to celebrate, learn to celebrate and collaborate with others who are unlike ourselves. And that's built in from the very beginning, because male and female are made God's image. So from the very beginning, there's an other who is not like me, who is also the Mm -hmm. image of God. With whom I'm supposed to cooperate because we're both given the task to rule over creation side by side and we're never told to rule over each Mm -hmm. other. So I think Hitler gets this all inside out and backwards and and tries to come up with a human hierarchy of worth and value. And so, yeah, he's wrong, but he's still the Mm -hmm. image of God. Mm -hmm.
0: No, that's a that's an interesting It's an interesting question, you know, is there a moral hierarchy other than Jesus and the rest of us, but that's Mm -hmm. an interesting question of, or I guess just, yeah, it's an interesting idea to, to wonder if, does someone's (laughs) misdeeds distort? Disqualify
1: them. Yeah, yeah, and he's certainly distorting human purpose and, uh, and rebelling against God's plans for creation. And I think in ways that are deserving of death, I'm not saying we have to preserve Hitler's life at all costs. Um, Genesis 9 says, whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed, which implies that there is a kind of just retribution for someone who does not value the lives of others. And if anyone in in human history has devalued the lives of others, it was Adolf Mm -hmm. Hitler um uh but but that doesn't erase the fact that he was that he's human he's trying to be a self-made man but he, there is a givenness to Hitler that he failed to recognize that he was first and foremost the yeah. image of god and if he had turned and, and embraced that and been willing to live in alignment with that then the world the, it, the history would have gone a totally different Absolutely. direction
0: yeah well on that positive note and I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no it's 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 helpful and I think at least I mean I'm no theologian or anything but I I do I, I'm I'm in the field right now and I think this is going to be really helpful in ministry and, and mm. for just the common mm. person so I'm I'm really grateful for this work I hope um so. it's needed it is a, it is needed because I think people are wondering how how does the anxious person how does the depressed person fit in the mm. image of God how does mm. the um, mentally disabled yeah. so th- yeah. th- these are this such an important work yep. so dr Iams, thank you so much for this this book um and this interview mm. i know i'm not as high caliber as your other hosts but i do not take it for granted oh
1: no you are you are the image <laughs> of god <laughs> every yeah. host that's ever had me on has been the image Amen. of god And we all put our pants on one leg at (laughs) a time. So I'm thrilled to have gotten to meet you. Thanks for your really good questions and blessings on your ministry. Thank you so
0: much. And for that reminder, I am.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing you can do to lose it.